You're listening to Kindling Conversation with Siobhan Hunt, part of Kindling Kids Radio. Once your child goes to school, it's hard not to see them as all grown up. Along with the uniform and their bright, shiny shoes, they can communicate better than ever before. And they're learning how to read and do all that sort of stuff. But five, or so I'm finding at least, is still quite a mysterious age for an adult. There are tantrums that I can't understand or really obvious lives. Rudeness, in a nutshell, challenging behaviour. So what's going on with five-year-olds? Penny Gibson is a counsellor at Capacity. It's a therapeutic service for kids and families. Hi, Penny. How are you? Hi, Siobhan. I'm well. How are you? Good, thank you. Now, listen, we hear a lot about toddler tantrums, what's going on for the toddler, how we can help manage it. But what's happening when a five-year-old has a tantrum? Is it still considered to be normal behaviour? I think that's a really great question, and I'm sure you're not the only mother of a five-year-old who's got that on their mind. I think it's a really good um, place to start, knowing that developmentally, Yes, you might have passed a really challenging time with a young toddler, but very much with the five-year-old age and their developmental stage, they're still going through so much learning about themselves and their environment. So developmentally, we know, and you'll see it in action, that some of those behaviours which we call challenging are still very much a five-year-old way of learning about the world, testing, pushing boundaries, and responding to the limits that are being set for them. And it's also a big time in their life of change as they've normally started school and that's a big transition in their life. So absolutely, there's some level of normalcy when it comes to children's challenging behaviour at the age of five. And the other thing is, uh, let's say, um, what can accompany a tantrum is often uh, maybe a little bit of rudeness, a bit of crankiness. Maybe they've done something wrong that they know is wrong and there's a bit of conflict going on when um they're pushing your buttons <laughs> what's happening there sure uh, again i think you're not the only one who finds like the behavior is very challenging and pushing the buttons is one of those things where you just have to be so patient and so reflective which is so hard in the moment i totally understand that so the reality is that children at that age are still trying to work out their emotional vocabulary. And as much as we would love them to be able to say, I'm feeling really stressed about this and this is why I'm behaving this way, sadly, that's not that simple. And it's got to be some time of learning and supporting them in learning this development that you know you actually see some gains with this. So the parent plays a really important role during that time of role modelling really calm reactions to challenging situations and also building their emotional vocabulary. I'm happy to talk more about that if you'd like, Siobhan. Yeah, so let's say that it has been something... um Let's just, you know, I'll use a scenario from my own life. Uh, say my daughter and my son are fighting and my son's three, my daughter's five. And let's say he's done something and she's gotten really cross and we haven't seen what's happened. We come into the room, he's crying and she's throwing things around the room. Um, how do you enter that situation as a responsible adult, you know, not just yelling at both of them? Yeah, sure. I mean... If you do yell, no one's going to blame you because sometimes you just have to uh, contain yourself and realise that you know we all lose control of our emotions sometimes. But if we can think about our rational brains and what we would ideally love to do, 
the first thing is making sure that everyone's safe. So you want to be in an environment where no one's actually able to hurt each other anymore. So if it means physically separating them, then that's a great starting point. And then it's, you know, I'm sure they're going, well, she did this and he did that. And it's really important to hear both sides of the story and keeping that really short and sharp, I think, works well because it can kind of get away from itself. And then making sure that part of that process is them understanding each other's perspective as well. So, I mean, you know as an adult exactly how it feels if someone steals something that you've been playing with or destroys something that's really precious to you. So it's really trying to be a social commentator or like, you know, like you're commentating a sports match of, Oh, this happened, I wonder what she felt when you did that or he did that, I wonder how that might have made him feel and really helping them as, as much as it feels really like clunky and obvious, it's learning in the, in the moment that makes all the difference for kids of that age. What about if they're hitting? So with toddlers, etc., you can understand there's not much thought process that goes um, behind a hit or something like that. But when they're a bit older, if they're still hitting, um, even when it's their brother or mum and dad not outside the home, how do you uh, talk to them about that? Mm. So I guess there's a difference with talking about it sort of straight after it's happened or talking about it if it's something that you've noticed as a bit of a pattern. So Talking about it straight after it's happened, it's really important that you make it clear in your language and your tone of voice and your body language that that's not acceptable behaviour, that it's okay to have strong feelings like being angry or frustrated or stressed or worried, but it's not okay to take that feeling out on someone else and maybe thinking about some other ways that they could express those feelings in better ways next time. And then down the track, if it's you're noticing that it's a pattern, you know, talk to them. What is it about some of those feelings that get so overwhelming that hitting's the only option? Because as you say, a five-year-old really knows rationally that that's not the right thing to do. That it, you know, their um, their body becomes so intensely preoccupied with emotion that they don't know what else to do. Do you think we have high expectations of their impulse control at this age? Yeah, I think you're spot on with that. I think it's really unreasonable to expect a child of five to know exactly what to do with those strong impulses and to know what to do every time. You can ask a five-year-old rationally that, you know, what should you do to treat someone nicely? And I'm sure hitting won't come up in that. But they are still very much learning what's okay and what's not with their behaviour when they're, you know, when they've got those really strong and intense emotions. And so we do need to be compassionate that they're probably not doing it on purpose. The reality is they just don't know how else to express those feelings. You're listening to Kindling Conversation. I'm speaking with Penny Gibson, who's a counsellor at Capacity. It's a therapeutic service for kids and families. We're talking about five-year-olds and just getting your head around the fact that even though they may be going to school and they're talking a lot more, that they still can have some challenging behaviour and where that might be coming from. Penny, we're talking about things like um, physical things like hitting and, and trying to control their emotions. What happen, What's happening if a child of this age lies? For example, really obvious lies like um, maybe they don't want to go to school and they say, but you said I could stay home and you know full well you haven't told them they could stay yeah. home. <laughs> what's happening in that situation? Yeah, this comes up a lot, Siobhan. I have to admit that it's really hard to understand why a child starts lying. And the best answer I have is that it's a real test of boundaries and what they're able to get away with. And so as much as it might be easy to just ignore 
that they've said is untrue or pass it off as something that might be a bit funny, it's really important to unpack maybe why they're bringing up something like that. Like you said, talking about, well, you said I could stay at home. Is it because they don't want to go to school? And then asking them some questions, just exploring some of the feelings about that is, are you trying to get out of school for a particular reason and you think lying is the way to go about it? And so once you get to the bottom of it, you show, look, I'm, I'm here for you. I'm here to listen to your truth and I won't judge you or shame you for what you tell me. So it's really um, important that you think that maybe lying is not the best way to get through to me the next time and, and doing that in, in a consistent and in a predictable way as much as you can. One of the things I've noticed about this age group is that um, – their personalities, I mean, they've got personalities from day dot, but at five, their personalities are starting to interact with other personalities and you can see them sort of evolve that way. I'm finding that my daughter in particular is really sensitive if she thinks someone's laughing at her. So she'll say something funny and we might laugh and then she'll be like, you're laughing at me and get really upset. We're like, actually, you're really funny and we're laughing with you. Um, But she's also, uh, she can get sensitive if she thinks people are looking at her. And I'm just wondering if that's something that is happening because her personality is evolving and she's getting a more of a sense of herself. Sure. So the important thing to think about children age five to 12 is that they become so much more reliant on their peer networks for support and their identity. So when babies and children are younger, they very much rely on their immediate support networks of their parents or caregivers or their siblings. And then their peers start to become much more important to them and what they think of them. So it's really normal that a a child in prep would, would be worried about what other people are thinking about them or be caring more about that. But you're right in saying that there's some children who just have a temperament that is a bit more sensitive than other children. And so they might worry about the simplest of things or get upset more easily than others. And so, you know, there's 15 to 20% of children who are born like this who typically have um, a more hyper-aware nervous system and emotional system and become more quick to react to everything. So there is some level of that being normal for some children, but some children who just are innately more sensitive. So we're coming to the end of term three at the moment, and I've heard that term four can really take it out of kids, that they just get so tired. How can that kind of translate into behaviour? Because I'm imagining it's not just that they go to sleep really well at night. Hmm, Yeah. The first year of school is tough for any child, and you would notice by the end of every term that they're getting more tired and irritable and then towards the end of the year they're thinking about all the other changes that might be coming with the next year. So if you've got someone who's a bit worried and they might be anticipating that things will be hard and so they might be acting out with that as well. So I guess the important thing to keep in mind is how you can keep everything at home and your life as consistent, as predictable as it has been. So if there's lots of change and there's lots of things that are uncertain for your little five-year-old, that you make sure that everything else maybe is continuing the same way that it has been, that they have the same routine, that they can connect with the same people regularly, that their support figures remain the same, and also that there's lots of opportunity for fun and connection and downtime and relaxing as well. I think we forget how much children of five are still very little, very little children and they need a lot of time for play and an outlet when school is such a different environment for them and their brains and can be quite a busy and overwhelming learning environment. So definitely making more time for 
those activities that they find relaxing and calming and a lot of um, fun, yeah. Penny, there's lots of great advice there. Thanks for chatting with us today. Thank you so much, Siobhan. My pleasure. That's Penny Gibson. She's a counsellor at Capacity. It's a therapeutic service for kids and families, and we'll pop a link up to her website later this afternoon. Just head to kindling.com.au. You've been listening to a Kindling Conversation podcast. We'd like to reach as many parents as possible, and you can help us by giving us a review wherever you downloaded this episode. It means that more people can find us. I'm Siobhan Hunt. See you next time.